Hey guys, welcome to Trinity Church Online. For more information, please visit us at ourtrinity.org or you can find us on Facebook at Trinity Church of Wheat Ridge or even on Instagram at Trinity Church CO. No matter where you are today, we are glad that you have joined us here. We may have to wait uh, just a few minutes to get him back there and get the mic. He's our track star today. He's running from one place to another place to get that on. Is it on? Oh, it's on. Oh, okay, great. We're already there. How are we doing today? Can you do better? Yeah, I thought you could. Hey, today, I want you to take that green uh, flyer that's inside. That's the notes. And it's a lot of notes, a lot of things we're going to go, be going through. I want you to kind of stay along with me, stay with me today. We're looking at 2 Timothy, the charge of the gospel to the next generation, this great handoff that's going on. And we're ready for study number seven, continuing in the gospel in chapter three. We're looking at the second part of that message. Now, last week, we saw that we had to continue in the gospel, even though we're facing times of stress. We also saw that we need to continue in the gospel, even though we're facing evil men. And we looked at these men's moral conduct. We looked at their religious observation and also their recruiting zeal in these last days. But today, we're going to see how we have to continue to remain standing firm in the faith and the origin and the purpose of Scripture. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's look at verses 10 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. But you, underline that phrase, but you. See, that's in contrast to everything that's gone before because verse 2 says for men. But now we get down to verse 10. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Would you underline that? Out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men, imposters, they're going to grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, there's our phrase again, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's bow together. Continue. We have started, but how are we going to finish? We must continue. Father, the message here today is for every one of us who've come to faith in Jesus Christ. For you, each one of us must continue. If this great handoff to the next generation is going to take place and this gospel is going to remain, then we must continue in what we've learned. 
So, Lord, I would ask as we come to this passage of Scripture that, Father, you just open it up and that your Spirit would enable us to see things that maybe we've never seen before. And that, Father, we would be encouraged and strengthened to stand our ground, to hold firm to ground, to not give up ground, but to move on. Even against times of stress, even in these last days, even against the face of evil men, that we will continue. So, Lord, we just ask that your, your spirit would teach us, your word would be that which we are learning today, that we might live the life that Jesus wants us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we want to look at here this morning is that we must continue to stand firm in the faith. We must continue to stand firm in the faith. And we're going to need PowerPoint. There we go. That's going to involve a lot of things. Now, I want you to look at, at verses 10 through 15 here. Note the beginning of verse 10. Also note the beginning of verse 14. Verse 10 says, But as for you... Now, the, the correct Greek translation, sude, means, but as for you. And we see that phrase repeated again in verse 14, but as for you. So in contrast to the contemporary decline in morals, the empty shred and shroud of religion, which we saw last week, the spread of false teaching, Timothy has got to be different. He's called to be different. And it's necessary to stand alone. We're going to have to keep with our PowerPoint. So Timothy is called to be different. We're called to be different. He's, it's necessary. He's given called to stand alone. And if necessary, we're going to have to stand alone. Every Christian is called to be different from the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That means we have to be different. That means we're going to have to stand alone. And the pressure for us to conform today is tremendous. It's so easy for us to simply slip into obscurity, to simply not be heard, not be seen, not be listened to. But God's Word calls us not to be moved. God's Word calls us to take a stand. So we've got to hold our ground. And I fear many of us are losing ground. We have lost ground. And I want to encourage you to hold fast. This is why I had you stand and make the commitments you did last week, that we might hold fast and stand our ground. Now, the next thing I want you to notice are two verbs here. In verse 10, you have the verb, you have followed, past tense, you have followed. And in verse 14, continue to follow. So verses 10 and 13 shows us what Timothy has been doing, what he has been following. And verses 14 to 15 shows us what Timothy must continue to do in the future. He must continue to follow. So first of all, we have to understand and continue in our past loyalty, in our past loyalty. We see that in verses 10 to 13. As Timothy says, but as for you, Timothy's position was one of following. That is our position. We are followers. If any man come after Christ, let him take up his cross and follow me. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word describes following a person as he's going in a direction. So it's not aimless. It is a direction that we're following. 
And it also means walking in their footsteps, so staying right in the footsteps of the person that we're following. Now, Timothy had just not fully known. He just not observed Paul's doctrine. He not just known and observed his conduct. He became fully dedicated. And we have to become fully dedicated to the one that we're following. Now, Timothy made it his own. He owned it. He believed it. He absorbed it. He lived it. He imitated Paul's life. He just didn't observe Paul's life and then go on. Now, Timothy, in his belief, in his practice, in his teaching, in his conduct, became Paul's faithful follower. He stayed in step with Paul. My brother and I, when we were young, we went hunting with my dad. And he would take us, and of course he had two because we were twins. And so he said, stay right in behind me. Follow my steps. Now that was easy. If there was a little skiff of snow on the ground, we can see exactly where he stepped. Even though we were smaller, we'd try to step in those steps. But, but when it wasn't snowing, uh, uh, no snow on the ground, it was hard to follow his steps to stay right in behind him. And I tell you what, if we snapped a twig or turned over a rock that hidden, man, he'd turn around, he'd give us that look. That look that only a dad can give, you know, and tells, hey guys, just stay behind me. Stay in my steps. And, and what we have here is a contrast of the men that came earlier in this chapter. The men described there were following their own inclinations, their own footsteps, lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. But Timothy was to follow a different standard. His standard was different. You have a different standard to follow. You have a different person. We don't follow the men around us, the world around us, going down the tubes like they're going. We stay behind Jesus. Now, here's the question we have to ask. What standard are you following? What's your standard? Have you lowered your standard? Have you compromised your standard? What's your standard? And then who are you following? Who are we following after? Who are we staying in step with? Now, many feel Paul is boasting here in verses 10 and 11. I don't think so. He draws attention first to his teaching. And then he goes on to give two very objective evidences of the genuineness of his faith. You can follow me. First, the first objective standard for his teaching was the life that he lived. Because of the life he lived, then you should be able to follow my example. The second objective uh, evidence of his leading was his sufferings. The suffering. You can follow me because I have suffered for what I'm following after. So stand behind me. Follow the life I've lived. Follow the sufferings I've suffered. And Paul is so convinced of this uh, that he practices what he teaches. He practices what he preaches. If you are convinced that this word is God's word, then you will practice it and you will encourage others to follow it. And he's prepared to suffer for it. Because Paul remained steadfast to his principles, and Timothy would need to do the same if there's going to be this great handoff of the gospel to the next generation. The next generation has to be following this generation, and this generation has to be following the generation before it. Look at Timothy's past behavior here. We have to understand and look at Timothy's past behavior, his aim in life was to observe and to imitate Paul. In his faith, his motivation, he imitated Paul. In his patience and long-suffering, he imitated Paul. 
In his love towards God and other people, he imitated Paul. And in his steadfastness and in his endurance during these trying circumstances, he imitated Paul. Now, here's a couple more questions. Who are you imitating? Now, here's a greater question. Who's imitating you? Who's following you? Look at Timothy's past experience now with persecution. We have to understand this. Paul had suffered. He had endured affliction in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Now, I want you to understand this. Timothy was from Lystra. So there at Lystra, Paul was taken by the mob. He was beaten, drug out to the outskirts of the city, left in a ditch to die. Now, if Timothy knew that if I'm going to follow this man, I might end up in the same fate. I might be beaten and drug out of a city and left for dead as well if I follow Paul. Timothy also witnessed, though, how God had delivered and rescued Paul from every situation he was in. So he observed the persecution. He saw the rescue in the midst of it. And he began to realize that he, too, must share in suffering. He could not follow Paul without also suffering with Paul, sharing in his sufferings. See, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to suffer with Jesus. Did you hear what I said? Now, I'm going to talk to you about this in just a minute. But in verse 12, Paul's experience was not unique. Neither was Timothy's to suffer. Now, it says here, all who are in Christ Jesus, verse 12, will suffer persecution. But there's a qualifier here. I want you to pay attention to the qualifier it says, if they desire to live godly lives. See, if you do not desire to live a godly life, you will not suffer persecution. And I'm, I believe, I'm convinced that why a lot of Christians are not experiencing persecution, because they are not desiring to live a Christian life. Because if you desire, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, is it maybe they'll suffer persecution? It says, they will suffer persecution. And see, our, uh, our godliness, that's going to upset and arouse the antagonism of the world. Go to John 15. Are you with me so far? I don't know if you are or not. Let's go to John 15, verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world will love its own. So listen, if you're of the world, they're going to love you. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That, he's talking to his disciples, but the application is for us. Remember the word that I said to you, that a servant is not greater than his master? If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep your word. Now, I want to tell you here, now I want you to really pay attention here. There are two groups of people that will never be persecuted. They will never be persecuted. First of all, those who are in Christ, but not in the world. If you're in Christ and not in the world, you're never going to be persecuted because you're never going to contact, come in contact with anybody that's going to persecute you. See, you escape persecution by withdrawing from the world. And a lot of Christians have got that option. I'm just going to withdraw from the world. If you withdraw from the world and you're still in Christ, you're going to escape persecution. Let me tell you, uh, the, the second group, those that are in the world, 
but not in Christ. They're never going to experience persecution because there's nothing the world sees in them that they should persecute because they look just like them. So they escape persecution by assimilation. So you can escape persecution by withdrawal from the world, or you can escape persecution by assimilating with the world. But only those who are both in the world and in Christ will suffer persecution. And if you're in ministry for very long, and if you're a Christian for very long, you're going to experience persecution. Now, I'm going to share with you some of my personal experiences in persecution. Now, I don't share that to bring attention to myself. I want you to understand that if you're going to walk with Jesus, if you're going to preach His Word, if you're going to live by His Word, you're going to suffer persecution. First two I want to share uh, happened to me uh, when I was uh, First Baptist Church Lakewood, right down the street, 14th and Ammons. I, I've told you this story. I'm going to be brief in this first one. Uh, I was called one night at midnight, and I lived out in Green Mountain, so I, I drove all the way down to to uh, 14th and Ammons, and as I got to the parking lot of the church, a police officer met me, and he said, uh, there's a man inside, and you don't know him. He's a high Satanist priest, and he is out, and they meet here to destroy you, and they want you dead. Now, I went in and had opportunity to, to share with this individual, and he came to Christ. It was amazing, but he could not attend our church because there are too many demons in it. Same church, my elder board. Half my board were 32nd degree Masons. So I began to preach against Freemasonry. And I want to tell you, I started getting notes under my door. Pastor, we want you to leave. Pastor, quit preaching on this subject. Pastor, we're going to withhold money. We're not going to support the church anymore if you keep preaching this doctrine about Freemasonry. So I took all of their notes, anonymous notes, and then none of them had the courage to say who they were. And, and one day in my pulpit, I had a trash can right there, and I said, I don't know how you've dealt with these things in the past, but this is how I'm going to deal with them. I dropped in the trash can. Fort Collins, Colorado. I started a church up there, and our kids were going to be in, in the school system up there, so... Poodle R1, there you go. It's out there for everybody here. So I went down to the school board to hear what they were going to be teaching my kids. And, and I got access to the files, and I began to see about their confluent education and their guided imagery and all of their stuff on, on death culture and their things on, uh, on uh, meditation and Eastern meditation. So we were meeting at the time in the little Seventh-day Adventist church. We couldn't meet anything but on Sunday. So I, I went to the... Uh, middle school where my kids were attending, I asked permission to hold some seminars there uh, about this. And I tell you, the first meeting I had, members of the school board showed up and they wrote down the names of every teacher that was there and they contacted every teacher and said, you cannot attend these seminars. If you attend the seminars, there'll be repercussions for you. I had a parent come up to me and told me, hey, this week I went to a school board meeting they were having, and they're writing your name, Pastor, on the bulletin board. They're writing it on the chalkboard, and they're telling people to avoid you and your church. I had a chance and opportunity to go to India several years ago. We got into Chikaldra. Ten churches had been burnt to the ground the week before we got there. 
And when I was in Vizagalpatnam, just to the north of us, a missionary family were in their car. The radical Muslims came and burned their car with them in it alive and killed them all. And as we moved our way through, and I can't tell you all the experiences we had, but as we moved our way, uh, unescorted, the government knew we were there, the government followed us. Every time we got on a train, every time we went anywhere, there was a government official knowing where we were at. And we got into the, the hill country of Chicaldra, and I remember we got there on a Tuesday night, and we met a young man. His father was a pastor. He'd been killed in his pulpit the Sunday before. So we made our way up. I mean, you're dealing with people who really met persecution. And we, we made our way. The funny part of this story, and, and I'll wait till I get to Jefferson County. I haven't got there yet. Uh, and the persecution we've experienced here in our own county. But I'll, I'll get there in a minute. <laughs> Are you ready for that one? Okay. I'm still in India. We went to Agra and to New Delhi, and we're sitting, we hadn't eaten any American food for over a month, so we're sitting in Wendy's in New Delhi, and we're surrounded by these men. Big guys. They were the Secret Service. President Clinton was going to be there in the city. They want to know what we, we guys, us two white guys, were doing there. And we told them who we were and what we were doing, and, they, and we told them where we, where we went through the country, what we'd experienced, some things I'm not even sharing with you. They said, we would never go through that country. We'd never go where you went. You must have a God that protected you. I tell you, when we got to the airport, those guys sat with us. I never felt so protected. And when President Bush was inaugurated, I looked back behind his Secret Service agent was the guy that we talked to personally there in India. Now I'm coming to Jefferson County. Derek could be my witness on this one. We got an anonymous phone call because I was supposed to resent, and when I say, I asked permission from this individual to share, though I'm not using his name, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. He said, yeah, share it, because people need to know what we're up against. I was to represent him in court and give a, a recommendation of how I saw him as a father and how he behaved with his daughter in our church. We got an anonymous phone call. Derek answered the phone call. This person was struggling with homosexuality, wanted help, wanted to know if the church had anything. He said, I don't think the church is writing, writing anything or has got anything in publication or that's been preached on, but I'll talk to my pastor, So, which he did. And I said, well, uh, many, many years ago, about 10, 15 years ago, I wrote a paper. I was asked by the Homosexual Gay Alliance up at... Uh, uh, Colorado State University to present a paper, paper on homosexuality from a biblical perspective. So I gave it to him. He sent it to the person. Now, I want you to know that that document has never left my file. Never left my file. No one's ever seen it but me and the people that attended the seminar some almost 15 years ago. Well, so, some of you were there. And we, so when we got to, the, to court and I had given my, my testimony about this individual, I was going to be cross-examined. So as I was being ready to be cross-examined, the first thing that was presented by the uh, uh, attorney, and you've got to realize that the person that was bringing the accusation against this brother in our church uh, is in a homosexual-lesbian relationship. So the first thing they brought is this paper. Well, Pastor, is this a paper that you've written? I said, yeah. Well, the whole thing was a setup. And so they had changed the paper. They had marked on the paper 
And so the judge asked me, he says, is this the way you presented the paper? I said, absolutely not. It's been defrauded. It's been written on. It's been manipulated. So he threw it out. Now, the next thing they did was uh, present uh, uh, our doctrinal statement. And they, oh, it's a beautiful cover on this doctrinal statement. I says, uh, Pastor, is this your doctrinal statement? I says, where'd you get this? He said, we got it off your website. I said, no, that's not on our website. Well, do you believe the things in that document? I said, I got to read it. So I started to read it. They had defrauded it. They had manipulated it. They had changed it. And there was a, uh, they were a section of the Holy Spirit, just to give you one illustration. It, it, they had a verse on there. Now, I knew what the verse was. I said, do you know what that verse is? They said, yeah, it has to do with a man li- lying with another man. I said, that has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. So you have misrepresented our church, and you've misrepresented me, and you've rewritten our document for your evidence. And the, and the judge threw that out as well. Now, the reason I bring this up, folks, is because if you're a Christian, if you've been in ministry very long, you're going to be persecuted. I've got one more. I, I know I've still got a lot of message to go. I was seeing a person in the detention center. I have a card in my wallet that gives me permission to go into that detention center anytime I want to go. And I went in to visit this person. I visited him the night before. I was visiting him the next morning. And I went in, and the, the sheriff that was on duty there says, uh, uh, I don't want you to go in. I'd prefer that you don't go in. I said, why? He said, well, you were there yesterday. You were there uh, this morning. You don't need to go in today. And I said, I think I should be able to go see him anytime I need to go see him. He said, are you going to just talk about spiritual things? <laughs> I said, Yeah. But I'm also going to have him over for dinner, but he's got to stay another night, so I'm going to talk, him, talk to him and we'll have him over tomorrow night. Well, I prefer you don't go. I said, I want to go. And I'm going. So reluctantly, he let me go in. I go see him. And I went and walked back out of, of that uh, detention center. I, I looked over the guy and said, thank you for your graciousness of allowing me to go see him. I'll be here tomorrow at 2.15. Now, those are just little stories. Every one of you have got stories of persecution. And we have to understand the future loyalty that comes with sharing, just like Timothy, in persecution. Look at verses 14 and 15. I get on with my message here. But as for you, distinguishes Timothy from all the evil men and imposters. They go on. They're going to increase. Folks, I want to tell you, the imposters, the deceivers, they're going to increase. But he says, you continue. You also continue in a different path, in a different direction. So we are to walk a different path. We're to walk a different culture, a different standard. We're to live a different lifestyle. And be careful today of the radicals. They claim to be progressives. Let me tell you a word about the progressives. They're not progressives. They're digressives. And every time you heard the word progressive, let you remember the word digressors. They digress from everything we've learned from the scriptures. These digressives, these progressives boast of a new Christianity. Be careful, folks. There's a new Christianity being marketed to us today. There's a new theology being marketed to us today. There's a new morality being marketed to us, a new reformation. You're going to hear these terms. And if you're in seminary going to school, you're hearing these terms. Luke 5.39 says, No one having drunk of the old wine desires the new, for he says the old is good and it is better. 
We, like Timothy, we're to abide, we're to remain in what we've learned. And we, like Timothy, need to continue in the future to the next generation of what we've learned in this present generation. And we need new expressions. But I'll tell you, folks, yeah, we need new expressions, but we don't need new composition. Hear what I said? It's all right to have new expressions of our faith, but we don't need to rewrite our faith or to recompose it. And this exhortation to continue and to remain and to abide and, and to rest, it rests on two things. First, continue in what you've learned and continue from whom you've learned it. You see that in verses 14 and 15? Stay with me. I know it's long today. But I, I want to be bold enough to say to you as your pastor, continue in what you've learned from me. I've been here now 12 and a half years teaching you, and you can follow what I've taught you. Why? Because we preach this right here. And you can follow that. So we've got to continue to stand firm in the faith. Second, we have to continue in the origin and the purpose of Scripture. Look at verses 15 through 17. Two fundamental truths about Scripture are given here. First, it's origin. Where it comes from, and if you're going to continue, you better know where it comes from. And second, it's purpose. What's it intended for? So if you're going to follow it, you better know its origin and its purpose. First, its origin. It says here that it's inspired by God, for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means it's God-breathed, it's profitable. We use the term inspiration, but I'm going to give you a better term. Inspiration means God-breathed, but here's a better term. Spiration. Spiration. Expiration. Now, though I don't know if those are in your notes, but I want you to get those terms down because this is what I mean. Scripture and its human authors were not breathed into by God. They were breathed out by God. Let me explain this. See, Scriptures was not something that already existed and then God breathed into it. you understand what I'm saying? Scriptures were brought into existence by the breath of the Spirit of God. Just like he created, and, and, and there's darkness on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God moved. It was spiration. It was expiration. And all scriptures came into existence because God breathed the Spirit of God into it. It originated in God's mind. It originated and was communicated from his mouth by his Spirit. That's its origination. And you know what, folks? You got this spiration. You've got this expiration. Now, what's its purpose? Verse 15 instructs us in salvation. Folks, there, this is the book of salvation. There is no other book written that tells you about salvation, and, which comes through Jesus Christ. And, and if you're going to follow this salvation, you're going to have to follow Jesus Christ because he is salvation. And verses 16 and 17 says, they profit us in creed and in conduct. Now, understand that. Creed is what you believe. Conduct is how you live. Now, false teachers today, they want to separate the creed from the conduct. They want to separate what you believe from the way you live it. But, and they want to divorce those two things. We as Christians, we've got to marry those two things. We've got to marry what we believe with how we live. We've got to marry creed along with our conduct. So in creed, it says the Scripture is profitable for teaching truth and refuting error. In conduct, it says here, the Scripture is profitable for transformation and discipline in right living. Now, understand this. Only the Scripture helps us overcome error. 
That's why we have to continue in the gospel because the only way we overcome error is to continue in the truth. And only the scriptures helps us to grow in truth to overcome evil and to grow in holiness. And the only way we're going to ever grow in holiness is to continue in the gospel. And the only way we're going to overcome evil is to continue to grow in the gospel. Look at verse 17. Why? That we might be men of God, complete, thoroughly equipped. Scripture is God's means to bring us to maturity. Now, I've got a little diagram here for you. I want you to see it. Okay, you got that in your notes? Now, you've got to understand that we start out here. It says, the, the Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and righteousness. So we're going along in the doctrine, and that's the, that's the creed. That's what we believe in. Now, as we continue to live in that doctrine, we never have to experience reproof and correction, but unfortunately, we sin. And because we sin, then he has to bring the Scripture in to reprove. And reprove, he reproves us in our conduct and in our creed. So then, it's profitable not only to reprove us, but to correct us in that doctrine and in that creed. And you know what? He sets us right back in where we left off. And every time we make this loop, we're not further down the road. We get right back on to where he left us off. So then we might continue in instruction. So isn't that beautiful? This word of God is profitable for doctrine, what we believe in, our creed, our reproof when we get off the path, correction how to get back on the path, and instruction and training how to stay the path. So this whole third chapter challenges us to continue even when facing stressful times. I said last week, we wonder at times of the world and the church hasn't gone mad. With its strange views and its lax standards, both the church and society. Now, some of us are going to be swept away from our moorings by the flood of sin and error. That's why I asked you to take a stand last week. Now, some of us are going to hiding and hope to survive, and we aren't going to surrender to the evil ways. We're just going to hope till the Lord returns. That's not what he asks us to do. He doesn't ask us to assimilate or to withdraw. What he asks for us here is to stand. Stand firm. Continue in what you believed and you've learned. Now, I want to tell you, uh, Mark said it a year ago, uh, Mark Moore, at our, at our annual meeting. That this is what Trinity is known for. We are conservative. We believe in conservative principles. But here's the thing, most important, we will always teach the truth. We'll always teach God's word. That's what this church is all about. And if people are out there and they're looking for somebody that's going to teach the truth, who's going to live the truth in creed and in conduct, this is the church for you. And if you're listening to this today and you don't have a church home and you're looking for someone who's going to preach the truth and live the truth and be conservative in its views and its worldview, it's right here. This is where you need to be. But for you, stand firm. So hold fast to God's inspired word. It is profitable. Even in these midst of these stressful times, even in the midst of these grievous times in which evil men are going to go from bad to worse, you stay the course. Hold fast to God's word. It will make you complete. It will equip you for God's word. So remain loyal. If you don't, you won't be able to hand it off. See, if you don't stay loyal to this, 
I'm not going to be able to hand it off to anyone. You be loyal to this. So to your children and your grandchildren, to the next generation of young people, you can hand this gospel off. And they're going to have new expressions, but we'll never have new composition. Let's pray. Father, we've got we to understand this third chapter. That even though we live in times of stress and we face evil men, we continue in the things that we have learned and from where we've learned it. And that's going to mean that taking a stand is going to suffer persecution. It's going to be identified with the suffering Jesus. But we need to be willing to do that, especially in these days and in these hours in which we live. It's going to be easy for us. Well, I don't want the finger pointed at me. I don't want to be called some radical name by the so-called progressives who are really digressives. Men of lawlessness, women of lawlessness. But Father, we would be courageous enough to say, as for me and my household, we will trust in God. And on this word, we will rise and fall together. So Lord, teach us this. Bring it home to us. In Jesus' name, amen.